Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease. We are back for another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. Uh, I was about to say the summit, but that's not for another week or two. Um, so for those of you who, who have been listening, you really need to come to the Surf and Sales event. It's a lot of fun. It's not a bro fest, we promise. It's not a drunk fest or a frat party. We promise, 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 and the content's always awesome. Plus you get to see me attempting to surf, which is always worth the price of admission. Um, with us today is a, is a really good friend of ours. Um, I've gotten to know this gentleman for the last couple of years. He's allowed me to speak at his conferences, for which I'm truly grateful. It is David Delaney, who is the founder, CEO, uh, entrepreneur of the 10 Bound Conference. I know there's two this year. Uh, so David, welcome to the show and let everybody know just real quick where the two are, where the two are and what the dates are. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, it's an honor to be on. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, we are doing two this year. New York City is June 18th and San Francisco back in San Francisco on August 17th. That's so, great. Yeah. That's really, really great. That's super exciting. Let's before we jump into that, because I do want to hear the origin story of 10 Bound. Like it's always fun. You know, we get to hear about these things like you know, um, Unleash and Rainmaker, which is now Rev20 and Saster, but we never hear the origin stories, at least I don't. So I want to get to that. But before we go there, what's David Delaney's origin story in sales? Like, you know, what, what were you, were you, you know, did you have a lemonade stand as a kid? What was your, what was your origin story there? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. My first, my first like W2 job was selling shoes at Sydney of Shoes. And it was awesome, man. I mean, I couldn't believe that you could make, uh, commissions on sales of shoes because everybody needs shoes and it was all inbound right so right it was awesome dude they were where were you sound, where were you walnut creek walnut. so i was born in walnut creek i was raised in alamo which is um just uh south of walnut creek in the east bay um and uh, that's california for folks who don't know that that's uh <laughs> walnut creek california but um it is yeah like all, at I, the mall? Yeah. all i can picture right now is is david dressed as al bundy <laughs> totally selling shoes right yeah could, it was all it i was, can picture is everybody googling who's al bundy <laughs> <laughs> so it was great but um i yeah i definitely had a rebellious streak even then um i didn't get along very well with my boss and um ended up uh, getting fired from City of Shoes for insubordination, and um, I remember. All right, you got to tell that story. Stop right there. <laughs> that, that's too good and juicy. What What did you do? Um, wow. Um, so I, I always remember it too because um, they they called me in for fifteen minutes, and I learned I learned a couple of times through like shitty jobs and getting fired that um, if your boss ever calls you in for fifteen minutes, just never go back ever right like so um so yeah i mean dude this is this is crazy but um you know i definitely had a little bit of a rebellious streak and um there there was you know those mirrors on the ground where you could see the shoes and somehow um the boss had lined up the mirrors in just a way where he saw me uh, making an obscene gesture behind his back uh, by lining up like three or four of those mirrors. <laughs> he was very upset. Um, and uh, the rest is history. So what, that was what did he do to make you what did, you, what did he do to make you flip him off though? Like, was he being a dick? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was probably I mean, I it was this was way before meth was a was a big problem. But um, 
he was probably dabbling in well i think they had meth back then in the 70s or 80s but (laughs) (laughs) he was whenever i whenever i got in with like meth heads um I, I wasn't I wasn't good with those people. When whenever you got like, is this a recurring theme? Are you yeah. like Scott? Scott's over here chomping at the bit, and I'm not letting him interrupt. But no, working with meth heads is is tough. Man. I mean, especially with me because I'm pretty I'm pretty impatient myself. So it's just that the energy. Is... I didn't I didn't know I didn't know meth heads gravitated to sales. Uh, but I guess oh, that come on Richard Richard, it's been too long since you've been on the sales floor, my friend. Yeah, clearly, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I might have to get back into it. So yeah, but I mean, I love the job. I loved uh, being in sales, but um, I definitely, I mean, I, I realize like, like connecting the dots from, you know, 40 years ago or whenever that was that um, I, I have had a rebellious streak and I sh- probably should have done the entrepreneurship thing a long time before I did. Um, but what are you going to do, man? You only have the moment and you got to just go with what you got. So. That's yeah, how long did it, how long did it take you i mean i can look at your resume and do the math but like how long did it take you really to know that you were meant to be nobody's boss and you were going to start your own thing no it's it's interesting because um uh i think i knew it subconsciously you know the whole time that i was in the corporate world and um but it was fear really it's a fear of being out in the wild and not knowing where your next paycheck would come from. And I literally, like I started working at city of shoes, I think when I was like 15 and I always had a job. I like always had a paycheck um, coming in ever since, you know, three years ago. Um, And you know, it's just that fear of like not having that security blanket kept me in. But um, at the same time, like that kid who was like making obscene gestures to the boss, like never, never actually left right so there was always that that edge um that probably held me back a lot you know in my corporate career so do you think do you think unconsciously there's something that might be responsible for some of the shorter stints that you had at places before you started uh your company before you started 10 bound oh yeah i mean well it's interesting because i i never i never try to like blame or you know place blame i think that the a guy told me that um the key to a successful marriage is just realize that everything is your fault and (laughs) that uh um that that's also true in life i think if you take like full responsibility for everything um you're you're in way better shape but in my defense, those last couple companies were just crap companies, and I got involved with really, really bad people. And um, you know, I'm pretty much driven by hatred and rage to be successful now. So it 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 um, ultimately was positive. <laughs> That's resonating with <laughs> hatred and rage. He totally gets it. Well, he you know hatred he... and rage can be a good uh, um, uh, motivator. Well, what what what's interesting to me actually is that you know, based on your, your LinkedIn profile, like you were at Achieve Global for damn near seven years, right? I'm sure there was multiple roles that you were, you were in there. That gets acquired. You go to Glassdoor. You're there for two and a half, almost three years. That gets acquired. So you have like what I would deem two really good positive experiences, yeah. long-term commits and positive outcomes. 
And then I'm just thinking of what you said earlier about the sort of rebellious streak and whatnot. It's like you combine the rebellious streak that's already there with a couple successful stints. And I can see patience and tolerance for dealing with jerks or not being in the right environment <laughs> to diminish over time. And therefore you, you get quicker to pull the trigger and be like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here before finally you're like, fuck this. I should do this myself. Okay? That's, That's the part very that astute. makes sense to me. Scott, you guys, you guys need to hang out. Like I need to take both of you out for a, a drink. Um, I'll buy the first I'll buy the first three yeah. rounds just to get the story started. Like not even one <laughs> round, right? Yeah. You guys are very similar in your style, um, which, which is also why I think it's made you successful. And, and to, to all of us, you know, there's always something that holds us back. Right. So um, when were you were just out of curiosity, when were you at Glassdoor? We had, we had Sahil on yesterday and uh, was talking about it. Were you with, with him or were you later or what was your, yeah, that was interesting. So Scott mentioned um, earlier in my career, I was selling sales training for about seven years. Um, and but but it was the time of tech in the in the Bay Area. So I really wanted to break into tech. So I, I um, got in at Glassdoor. Um, I think it was in 2011. So it's like going on 10 years now. And um, I mean, that was such an amazing experience. I, I started with Sahil. Um, we, we shared a double wide cubicle um, in, in the office, Sausalito, and that's where I met, um, I mean, the, the people there were amazing. I met Jake Dunlap, who was my boss for a while, um, Doug Hall, Pat Shaw, um, Adam Polishevsky, like really good friends to this day. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was an awesome experience. I, I just, I, you know, and it's like, it's weird how your career goes. I live in Daly City, so I was driving up to Sausalito every day, and I counted it one day. And it was 39 stoplights between Daly City and Sausalito, and I was. This was before the days of like working from home, so I was about to blow my brains out. So that that's I, I got an offer at um, a company that uh, was called OpenDNS. It uh, became Cisco, and that was like 10 minutes away from my house. So not a lot of you know forethought or planning but it worked out pretty well that is why, pretty good. why the uh why the focus on sales development of all of all the different pieces of the sales world you honed in on sales development why yeah i mean that's really interesting so when i was at glassdoor um you know we were still trying to figure out the the sales process there and i i had um, predictable revenue um under my arm and um, uh, some uh, printed out blog posts and i just pitched them um on setting up a sales development team and um you know we were still really trying to figure it out but i, I for some reason it just um piqued my interest and as a sales rep for a long time before that that was like the biggest pain point for me was just um, dividing my time between prospecting and following up on leads and then do, running sales calls and like doing the actual job of a salesperson. And I just thought it was an awesome opportunity. So they, they basically um, at Glassdoor were like, hey, dude, we'll give you a couple months, but if it's not working out, we're going to have to figure something out. And, um, you know, I, I just, like, for, that was back before like sales loft and outreach and all that. And it was just basically lead lists and Salesforce and, and um, you know, spreadsheets and post-it notes. 
and we just, I, you know, at first it was just me, you know, and I just um, tried to find something to work. We, and we eventually it started to work and we built it up and um, it just, it just was super interesting to me. So, and, and it was like the, the skill set was still pretty rare of running those teams and building up sales development teams. And so I just said, I'll just double down on this. So what did you, um, how long did it take you to quote unquote, figure it out? I think is, is the first question. And then, uh, do you know the moment where you did figure it out? Right. Where you were like, when did Glassdoor say, okay, David, you, you've proven yourself. Yeah. Um, so dude, this is interesting. It was <laughs> walking down memory lane, but, um, so, um, I started doing the job. I was the first SDR at Glassdoor and, um, we, it started, I started to set appointments. We had an SLA, people were happy with the appointments. And then we got a new, um, VP of sales who was, more experienced. He had taken companies public and things like that. And he had familiarity with the sales development team. And um, I remember I, I went in and, and pitched him, you know, with the, what we had done and, and what the potential was to um, hire some people to uh, build up the program. And um, he, he agreed. Um, and so it was just kind of like little, little uh, bit of evidence and having a plan and, pitching it and then being able to do it and then just kind of built up from there. How long did that take you? A couple, I like probably three months um, of, of, and I mean, dude, this is seriously like, this is back in the day of, um, I had one of those carnival counters. I still have it actually. My kids like to play with it. Um, A little carnival counter. And um, I would have it on my desk and just sit there and like, every time I would make a call, I click it and I try to get a hundred calls a day. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to leave until I click this fucking thing a hundred times. That that's how, that's how like archaic it was back then. Yeah. So that's funny. And when did it, when did your, when did you decide to make the leap to building out your own conference? Obviously this is kind of near and dear to, to our heart. Um, having yeah. been our conference out. So when and why did you decide to to turn ten bound into a conference? Yeah, man. Um, so it's interesting. So I um, I got involved with a couple of of crappy companies there, and um, I was at a crossroads um, back in like 2016, and I was interviewing for other director jobs, and probably was just going to become a director of sales development somewhere. And a friend of mine um, was putting together his sales development program. He was the CEO of a cybersecurity company. And um, he's like, hey, do you know of any good SDRs? And I was like, ah, you, you should actually be a little bit more strategic on how you set this up. Don't just hire some people and like stick them in the corner and have them call. And so I got a consulting gig, right? And that essentially is how Tenbound was born. Um, just doing playbooks and a little bit of training and stuff like that. And, um, and at some point, like a few months after that, um, started the podcast and started to think of like, okay, how can we build like a more sophisticated sales development community? Um, and, um, and then it just, it was kind of a natural uh, progression to think about, uh, hey, we need a sales development conference. I mean, how come there's no sales development conference? It's crazy. And um, I actually pitched it to um, a guy who, was running conferences 
And um, he was like, dude, I remember distinctly, he's like, there's just not enough juice for the squeeze. And four years later, I completely agree. <laughs> and he's like, I don't want to do it. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'll just do it then. Um, so, yeah, um, we, we just set the date, um, started checking out places and just, just I mean, I ma mainly just made a commitment to it. Um, and, um, yeah, it went from there. Talk to me. I want to know. Yeah. You did it the opposite uh, order as us, Richard. Yes, okay. you did. I, I want to understand, because I, I think lots of people have ideas out do? there, right? Yeah. Um, that hurdle of you making that commitment. So someone told you no. So did that rebellious streak and David kick in and, you know, did you, are you flipping him off with a mirror on the floor behind his back? You know, respectfully. Um, <laughs> and, and I think as entrepreneurs, we all have to sort of take that leap of faith, right? Um, yeah. What so was we, it we, we also got told no yeah. about, about our conference. Yeah. We had that in common. Yep. So by someone very well known about conferences. So um, yep. what, uh, what, uh, what was that piece in David that finally made you take this leap? And just out of curiosity, where were you in life? Were you still single? Were you married with your first kid? Like, where were you? Yeah. I mean, I'll just take a step back. So I'm at the, I'm at that last company. Um, and um, I got hired. It was awesome. I mean, I was working with a really great guy, um, and all cylinders, firing on all cylinders. And I, I got transferred to work with another guy who was just a complete nightmare. Um, and I think, it, you know, to Scott's point, like I, it was, I was at the point where I'm just like, I don't, I don't want, I, it was probably just ego, but I was like, dude, I don't need to explain sales development to this fucking guy. You know what I mean? Um, like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a jackass. I'm out of here. Um, and so, so I'm getting to, to your question. The reason that I started 10Bound was just a necessity, man. I mean, I was interviewing for jobs and I needed to make some income. And um, I had a consulting gig, right? Boom. Done. Um, yeah, but it's still, I mean, it's an investment, dude. Like, it ain't cheap yeah. for you to front that kind of money. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, so if you think of it, like the company has two sides, one is, um, you know, advisory, uh, which is like all your training and consulting and all that stuff. And then the other side is like events and, and media um, and, and all, all the sponsorship stuff. So, um, you know, I was lucky enough to have a very supportive wife. She's working. Um, you know, she was able to smooth out um, a lot of the bumps. She still does um, income wise. And, um, you know, I had no choice. So I, eventually it was like, you burn the ships, you know, and you're just like, and, and it got to the point after like a year where I could, I can't go back and work for anybody else. It's too late. <laughs> like there's no freaking way. I mean, uh, like just because, uh, you, you guys know, uh, I mean, there's no way. Um, so burn the ships. I don't, I don't fully know yet. Okay. <laughs> Oh, Scott, you're not going back. It's going to have to be something very, very, very cool. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, I'm only, I'm only four and a half months into this. Whole yeah. Thing so yeah, far. I mean, I think it's, it's like if you can survive three years um, and get to an income level that's um, comfortable, um, then you're probably never going to go back. I'm not worried about the income level part. I'm worried about the three years part. That's, I'm like, <laughs> Scott's going to sit here and go, 
I'm, I'm doing it in a year. I don't have three years. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't have tomorrow. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you got to figure it out. Um, what if, just out of curiosity, what kind of advice? Because I know we've been talking a lot about your background and stuff, but I want to make sure we give some tactical things. You've yeah. clearly been a part of this for a long time, the, the sales development world. Um, if someone's coming in to build a team today, right? What are what are two or three things that they should consider? when they're starting to build their, their BDR team or SDR team? Um, I mean, we, we, we boil it down to it's, um, it's, it's, we took this from Marcus Limonis, the guy that does the, the profit on um, whatever CNBC. Um, you got to think of it like people processes and technology in, in, in that start with a strategy for how you're going to build the program and then plug in, the people and the processes and the technology according to the strategy that you want to put together. And the reason I say that is because nine times out of 10, um, people just throw together a sales development team. They just start plugging people in, they start plugging in random processes and then they buy some technology and they're just like, Hey, why, why is this, why is this thing not like firing on all cylinders here? Um, you know, what's, what's going on? And it's because they never took a step back to, map it out and, 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 and like reverse engineer the goal back from, from their strategy. So, I mean, I would, and, and it's hard, it's time consuming, it's not sexy. Um, it's hard to explain to people that don't understand sales development, but you got to do it. Do you, what, when you think about the strategy side of it, like what are the two or three strategic things? If I'm a brand new company, you know, I got some product market fit. I got 25 or 30 employees, a couple of sales reps. I want to go to this SDR route. Like, yeah. what is, what does strategy look like? What, what does that mean? Cause that's a very good buzzword. It's a very, it's a very good buzzword. So, I mean, we're, and we're actually, we're doing this right now at, at 10 bound. So it's a perfect, it's a perfect time. We have, a, we have our revenue goals for each quarter. And um, we know that we need about four X pipeline rolling into each quarter to hit the revenue goals. And, and um, we know that, in order to hit that that 4x pipeline we need x number of appointments set every week so that's really easy so i could look at my calendar and the sales guy can look at his calendar and we got to figure out how to set enough appointments so that we have enough pipeline to hit our revenue goals and keep the pipeline at a certain level on a rolling basis and so okay so we 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 start with that goal in mind and and then reverse it back so what do we need to do to set enough appointments each week um, in order to hit that pipeline goal okay we need to talk to people you know set enough uh, have enough conversations with people each week and make enough uh, you know activities happen each week to have those conversations okay cool so now we can break out the tactical activity metrics that we need to have in place in order to hit those conversation and appointment goals Great. Okay. So who do we have in place to do that? Okay. Are they the right person? Can they actually do the job? Um, do they have all the tools that they need? Are they trained? Um, have they attended, you know, surf and sales, like all the stuff to get them up, up, up to speed. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I can do this because I know what the revenue goal is. I know what we need to get out of the SDR organization. But if you're a new manager at a company and you come in and you're like, hey, boss, like, what is the revenue goal for my organization in the, you know, um, in sales development? A lot of times they can't give you that answer because they've never really thought about that. 
So that's, that's an issue. I mean, if you, you either get the revenue goal to be able to reverse engineer the strategy or you just have to make up something. What, what type of sales environment would you say is not conducive to an SDR model? Or do you believe that such a thing exists? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that if it's a very relationship-based, personalized, high-touch, you know, kind of old school, like playing golf and going out to dinner and like building relationships over the course of decades, then, you know, it probably is not the right fit, maybe. Um, but if it's, if it's, I mean, definitely in a SaaS type of, and it, it, if it's a higher velocity SaaS model, um, where you, you, you know the sales reps can do some prospecting on top tier accounts, but they really should be focused on running demos and 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 negotiations and closing deals. Then, you know, a lot of those companies, it's a good fit. Um, Is there a revenue threshold in your mind? It's got to be a certain level of MRR, ARR. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard like if it's not 10 to 12K a year, then it doesn't make sense financially. But uh, the question I would have is, okay, so do you have a freemium model or something? Like how are you gonna get the leads and how are you gonna get the conversation set up? And then are the reps, are the AEs gonna be doing the prospecting and following up on, on the inbound leads? Um, because if they're not, then there's still a gap. Um, what what are the what are the metrics and KPIs that you think SDR leaders should be following in companies? Right? Is it still dials and e email? Like what is it? Like you know, there's there's some vanity metrics that are kind of required, so you know. But what do you guys really pay attention to, or do you see the industry shifting towards? Yeah, I mean, I think that that what we advocate for and um, is conversations, um, the number of conversations per day quality conversations as, as it's defined by the team. Yeah. How do you guys define a quality conversation? Yeah. So it, it, and I hate to give you like a consulting answer, but it really depends on what, what that means to the company itself, but you could put like a, a time threshold behind it. You could put the number of responses. If it's an email situation, um, you could put, you know, how many uh, responses you get in a social situation. But um, that, that, that really is the key metric um, that we advocate for, because if you think about it, like there, the, whatever the channel is, whether it's the phone, email, social, like smoke signals, you know, whatever it is that drives to that conversation, um, the, those, those activity metrics could fluctuate quite a bit. It could take somebody like 100 phone calls to get one good conversation or another person like two. Um, so I think if, if, it's a, if it's early stages and you're trying to figure out what the hypothesis is for activity metrics, then you just have to pick a number for each and go with it for a while and see how it's going. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what are you trying to drive to? It's, it's a conversation. And so that, that's, what, that's what we're laser focused on. How many people are we actually talking to every day? And then how is that converting to an appointment, you know, to be able to show them a demo or whatever that looks like. What side of the fence are you on these days in terms of where SDRs should report? Should they report into sales? Should they report into marketing? You, you, depending on who you talk to, you hear different things. So curious if you could share your feelings on that. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's interesting because I think some of the latest reports say like 70% um, 
reports to sales and which makes perfect sense because you know it, it, it to some extent it is a sales job i mean you have to be persistent and and um you know persuasive to talk to people and you got to be out there like talking to people getting them interested um but you know uh sales receives the output of the sales development team and so they're they're waiting for the sales development team to produce an output and not necessarily involved in everything that it takes to actually get that conversation or get that appointment so what we see out there a lot is you know salespeople are just like waiting for the sales development team to produce something and they're just like the sales development team sucks like <laughs> they're not i'm not getting anything you know and it's like there's not a lot of mentorship and stuff like that that's supposed to be happening um, it's just sort of a passive um, atmosphere. If you have it on the flip side, if you have it reporting to marketing, um, there, there's a lot of advantages there, right? Because mar you can coordinate with the campaigns and marketing is very data driven, you know? So you can see how things are converting uh, based on the campaigns and, and the, you know, they're working, the SDRs are working in lockstep with marketing. But then on the flip side of that, um, you know, there's still, there's still that silo that exists between marketing and sales. And so if the SDRs are rolling up to marketing, then they just are like lumped in with marketing, you know, oh, marketing sucks. Like the SDR team sucks, you know? And so you have that negative attitude um, that, that permeates. Just so out of curiosity, you know, I, you know, Scott and I have been bantering how marketing needs to sign up for a revenue number, right? Not MQ, yeah. right? Just out of curiosity, when you see SDR, BDR teams reporting into marketing, do you see them having to be responsible for a revenue number more often? Because I often think that if marketing wants the BDR and SDR team, that's the first place they need to sign up for a revenue number, aside from their general purpose. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like, so these these departments were set up a long time ago, and they, they, they might not necessarily be right for today. Um, I mean, because at the end of the day, it's a funnel, right? There's, there's like the attention and then having, you know, bringing them into the conversation, setting an appointment and converting it to revenue. And so it's really like a revenue team. Um, so, you know, like at 10bound, we don't even have a sales team or a marketing team. It's just a revenue team because why, you know, everyone's just doing a different job at different parts of the funnel. Um, so, so, yeah. so you didn't really answer my question though. Okay. So is your opinion then that it should report into neither marketing or sales that, that those titles and, and departments should just be cast aside and we should just have one overall revenue organization? Is, is that, is that where you stand? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a little bit bleeding edge right now. Um, unless you're starting a company and you, you can do that because the people have their titles and they have their egos and their, their people are very set in their ways. And, and so I think that would be a really tough conversation to have. But um, to your question, dude, I would say that if the head of marketing and the head of sales and the head of SDRs have a strong relationship and they're communicating well, then it really, it's not as important where it rolls up to because they're working in unison as a team. Um, where it just goes off the rails is, you know, you've got, especially like with the dinosaur type VP of sales who are just like walking around like 
the fuck is this SDR team doing? Like, where's my pipeline? You know, it's just like, that's not going to work. So if, if all three of those, those leaders can be on the same page, that's, that's when it works really well. Um, no matter where it reports. So <laughs> I'm not going to die on that sort. Dude. I mean, if someone's David, looking for like easy answers, David, David's, been, David's been watching all the politicians on TV. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 70, 70% of SDR orgs. So, so much for being that same, rebel, so. Scott, you know, he started out this podcast, you know, really yeah. like I was a rebel, F you, blah, blah, blah. Now he's like, well, I'm not going to really take a side. That's right. I used to say marketing, but um, it just depends, man. What, what are some mistakes you could help people avoid? Right? We talk about things they can do right. We talk about where people can report. What, what mistakes... Um, aside from, you know, and I, you talked about one, making sure you were very strategic. Well, maybe what's, let me ask you this question. As you were building SDR teams, what were some of the biggest mistakes you made? Um, oh man, there's so many, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, um, the one that, the one that I think of offhand is, is really being able to hold people accountable. Um, it's keeping a good relationship, but at the end of the day, if you're doing everything that you can as a as an SDR leader to set up a good, good strategy, get the team training, prioritize the data, you know, do everything that you need to be successful. Um, you, you know, you, you I, I, I think I kind of crossed the line a lot between, um, you know, wanting to be friends with the people on the team versus really holding people accountable. And it's just something that I, I struggle with, you know, to this day. Um, because at the end of the day, like, you got to make it happen. Um, you know, that is that, that's John Barrow's t-shirt, right? You got to make it happen. It, 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 the buck stops at the, at the SDR or at the sales rep. You got to make it happen. And as a manager, you got to hold people accountable. So, yeah, I, I would figure out how to do that in a way that works for your personality, but, but um, make sure that that's top of mind. Um, I, don't, I don't feel like I, I really have ever had that problem. I almost have an easier time holding my friends accountable than I do strangers or just strictly work colleagues. I don't exactly know what it is, but I think I, I have a really high standard and a really high bar. Um, and for those people that I care about deeply, um, it kills me if I don't feel like they're reaching it or keeping pace with me. And so I will push extremely hard, much harder on my friends than I will, um, I have found at least on, on people that I don't know very well or just straight colleagues and not in the friend zone whatsoever. And then I think, Richard can either agree or completely disagree with me on this, um, I think I then work extra hard to kind of repair or ensure any damage that I may have done and just kind of you know, let people know that once I walk away from work, like I don't really care about all that stuff and just here to, you know, enjoy our friendship and our relationship. Um, so it's interesting to hear you say that that's been, been tough for you. I think it is tough for most people. I think that my, my response and reaction is probably in the minority. What do you, what do you think? Richard? I, um, so I think that's one of the things I admire about you, Scott, because you can sort of turn it off and on and you can compartmentalize in that way. Um, and yes, you do push hard. Um, and occasionally I have to push back on you. 
Um, and occasionally you push on me too. Like it, that's why we're, I think that's why we get along so well, but I've always had a hard time holding those people accountable too. And there was this friendship thing. And I, I, I definitely, um, had to learn that to stop being friends, right? Like to not be friends with folks at work. Um, it was sort of, for me, I had to cut it off. Like I went to work and then I, you know, you know, by the time Scott and I met, Scott was like the only person I really tried to quote unquote be friends with outside of the office um, when he, when I was working for Scott. Um, but that was by strategic design because I knew that was my power. That was my limit. That was my challenge. Right. And I sort of, for me, I needed that separation. I think now if I went back to it, I could be a little bit better at it. I'm a little bit older, slightly more mature um, and I get it, but it's really hard. I think I also think it's hard to, um, when it is your own company, uh, because now these people are like family, right? Uh, and that probably feels the same way when it is your own sales team. It does feel a little bit like family. I also think it's harder for people who are promoted from within to start to have to redraw that line and understand that relationship um, because you can't just cut it off, so to speak, right? And you don't want to, but that, you, know, you sort of have to figure that out and nobody teaches you how to do that stuff. There's nobody who teaches yeah. you how to do it, so. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you, you you know, do everything that you can as a manager to give people the tools and the processes and the training and, and you just knock yourself out and then you got to hold them accountable. You know, um, the, the other thing you made me think of you guys that, that I would definitely, I, I definitely learn and like the hard way is, um, you know, you can't do everything. You can't be everything to, to the job and and the, the sales development manager job is is it's a combination of art and science you know and um i i see a lot of the people that i talk to out they're trying to do everything so they're trying to be like this uh you know uh, sales development scientist with all the numbers and everything but yet um teach the the art of persuasion and the art of sales skills and stuff like that and they're trying to uh, you know, manage up to the VPs and do the, all that right. And they're trying to be operations. And it's just like, especially um, as I got out of the, in the corporate world, it's like, you're expected to do everything like that because that's why they hired you. But when you go the entrepreneurial route, you realize pretty freaking quickly, like you cannot do everything. You have to delegate and you have to be able to focus on your strengths and like have other people do things that they're strong in. And, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, looking back, it's like, I tell, I tell SDR managers, like, Hey, there's things that you're good at in the SDR manager job, double down on those, get really, really good on those and try to get support for the stuff that you suck at because you suck at it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so that was interesting. That's good. That's good advice. I, I can remember somebody I, at one point in time, I was debating what to do with my career and whether to kind of diversify it and try different things out. And, and somebody said to me, you're really good at this one thing. Why do you want to mess with that and try to learn this other thing? Just like go all in and be like the guy for X. Um, and I'm glad I got that, that feedback when I did. And I, I feel like I've tried to, to do that. So that, that advice and feedback that you just gave resonates with me a lot. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the um, thought leader guru type of people that I follow is his name, Dan Sullivan. And um, he runs a company called strategic coach and he talks about 
this concept of like your unique ability. You know, everyone's got some kind of unique ability. Everyone's got some kind of superpower. And, you know, when we're coming up in school, it's like you, you have to get all A's in everything. You've got to be completely well-rounded. You got to do everything yourself. And they're basically creating a great, you know, highly skilled employee. But, but when you go out into the entrepreneurial world, it's like, dude, you realize pretty quick that you suck at like 90% of things and you got to focus in on your unique ability, what you do really, really well, and, and then find really competent people to help you with the other stuff. And I think that you can bring that in to the corporate world as an SDR manager. Um, just figure out what you're really good at. And well, I think, I, think part, I think part of the role of the SDR manager is to uh, recognize and develop somebody else's unique ability. Yeah, and point it out to them, and and help help them become more self aware, so they can also focus on the right thing that um, that they're good at. You know, hundred percent. I mean, it's like, um, and that's what's cool about some of the companies that use the SDR program as like a feeder, and then you do it for a couple of years, and then you can go to different parts of the business, like Salesforce and LinkedIn, and some of the bigger companies that offer that are great about that because. They just get super bright people who are hardworking and perseverant and they aren't 100% set on their career. And they end up staying at those companies for like five years because they offer them different opportunities within the company to find that unique ability and, 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 and grow it. So, um, you know, I would say if someone's out there right now, like thinking about this, um, what, do you, what do you enjoy doing? What would you do um, if you weren't getting paid um and and you know but it's got to be something commercial because you can't just surf all day and unless you're really good or you unless you're really good <laughs> unless so it's got to really be something commercial i mean you yeah. know right? i don't know we've talked about you know the fa the fantasy is move to costa rica doing you know this kind of you could go run this business from costa rica david you don't need to be <laughs> in america you know like yeah. you could down there yeah dude i mean surfing sales like is such a that is such an amazing um event and what you guys have done i mean how, how did you um if you don't mind me asking like how did you come up with this and and what what's your what's your game plan for surfing sales uh came up with it basically on a on a family vacation richard and i both took our families to costa rica for an unconventional thanksgiving and nice. we're just sort of talking about his business and how I'm always giving Richard shit how much he has to travel and he has to go to all these shows and everything. And um, I think he kind of likes it secretly. I, I loathe that stuff. It's really hard on me physically. And so I like it. I don't, I won't argue yeah. that. I do like it. Yeah. 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 But I was sort of saying like, Hey man, you know, have fun in St. Louis at whatever in the Marriott for the hundredth time. And, I, and we were in the water in Costa Rica. And I'm like, how come nobody has a conference here in like a beautiful tropical location that people actually want to go to? No disrespect to the citizens of St. Louis, hopefully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, and, you know I, I don't actually know the size of, of 10 bound conference, but like, I don't want to go to a conference where there's 100,000 people like at Dreamforce running around and there's 100 plus vendors trying to sell something. And the connections and the, the humanity just sucked out of it. I meet people for 45 seconds at a time. Uh, and there's a big focus on like going to this after party and this, dude, I don't want to deal with all that shit. Okay. I want to go have conversations that 
mean something and that it's just a totally different kind of intimate experience. Um, and so we decided to do Costa Rica because we'd been there a few times. We decided to keep the numbers really small to protect that, that intimacy. Um, and that's kind of how it was born. It was just like, fuck it, let's go for it. And we booked stuff and kind of had no idea what to, what to expect. Um, I'll let Richard kind of talk about the plans as they are now and moving forward. But that was like the origin of it. Yeah. The, the plan. Um, yeah, that, that's the true origin story. And, um, I've said it before. Scott's always the one who's like, why don't we do this? And I'm always the one who's like, well, go fucking do it. Let's do it. So, um, Scott always <laughs> needs to look- end up doing it. Right. And so he ends up, so he ends up doing it. And we, we have a, a, a very li- a lifelong friend of Scott and someone who's become a good friend, Jeff Coleman, who's very good at this stuff too. And so he helps us. Uh, he does a lot of the legwork. Um, moving forward, we're, the goal is to do two, three, maybe four of these a year, one a quarter. Um, we're also talking to a couple of companies where they're like, hey, we want to do one where it's just our employees. Um, we got a big sales team and we're going to take our top whatever or top managers and do just a management focus. We've also talked about doing one with, um, you know, with C-levels only or VPs of sales only. So we, we've got a lot of ideas, and a lot of interest from different folks. And I think the, the challenge we have is time, right? Like just sort of, you know, we all have to run our own business and we all have kids and we all have to sort of, you know, make it work. Uh, but we'll be changing location for the September one this year. Um, so that'll be, are we announcing it, Scott? Yeah, I've, I've go. told, told yeah. people we're going, we're going to <laughs> far south of Mexico on the Pacific side. Oh, wow. Southern Mexico. That's amazing. For, yeah. Live yeah. So that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be in September. Um, it usually happens, usually, you won't know for sure, but it's usually like that weekend after labor day weekend so people start you know marking your calendar and emailing us and asking and uh anybody who emails me at at you know from this episode with david delaney uh i'll give you 500 bucks off if you come in september so there it is nice. there, there's my that's, that's excellent that's out, that's, out of, that's out of richard's take that's <laughs> yeah so, i mean uh, i i'm very bullish on events i mean live events are are, are great for me because i think people are working remotely more and and um they're they just there's just not that much human connection and so yes. having small events and medium and large events i mean anytime i'm lucky because i live in san francisco um so i i can you know go to an event every day <laughs> if i want to um but i you know you make some of the i met richard i met you actually at dreamforce like mm-hmm. a long time ago when you we, we were with max um, from Sales Hacker, and and um, I met you there initially. Um, I met um, Scott at at um, Rainmaker. So I I love events. I mean, obviously, you know, we all put them on, but I, I just think they're when you know, when you come to ours, you keep yeah. promising me. What, what what note do I need to write to your wife? Because I don't think it's a work thing. Well, he could say the same thing to me. When am I going to his? <laughs> yeah, I mean. <clears throat> uh, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's a dream of mine to someday go to surf and sales, yeah. um, and I want to make that a reality. Scott, Scott, if we if we had if we got a nickel for every time someone said I really want to come to this, yeah. like we have we have like seven or eight nickels. You know what you guys could do is um, you know there's a good surf beach in Pacifica. Um, Oh, dude, come on. There's like a thousand people at that beach every <laughs> single day. 
But okay. you know, I mean, you you got it's the, cool. the training. It, it, the it would also absolutely destroy the margins because trying to rent a property somewhere in the Pacifica, Montana, or Ocean Beach area would would just ruin the whole the whole thing. But this yeah, there are places in California where it is possible to uh, to pull off. I, I yeah, San Onofre. You know, we can. Yeah. You can rent out the nuclear power plant for the training, right. and and, right. and I just <laughs> I, I'll just tell everybody that all the sharks in the water are just dolphins. <laughs> yeah. um, I what love it we, though. I think it's what, great. What, what can we do to uh, help you, David? If, any, if anything, we always try to offer our advice or our help in any way at the end of every episode to to our guests. So want to make sure that, um, that we 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 throw that out there to you. Oh, thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. No, I would just um, encourage everybody to go to tenbound.com and, and jump on the newsletter. I mean, that's, that's kind of the best way to keep in touch on everything that we're working on. Um, we're always releasing new research papers and blog posts and podcasts and events and um, the newsletter is the way to go. So you just head over to tenbound.com and jump on the newsletter and, and we'll keep you posted on everything we're doing. Great. Cool. Well, Sorry for the saw background. If you can hear that, that's uh, construction in my house. <laughs> I appreciate it. This is uh, this was a great great conversation, you guys. And and um, I would encourage everybody. And like I said, it's my dream. But everybody on this should go to Surf and Sales. I mean, I the, I've heard great great things about it, and I plan to be there one of these days. So appreciate that, David. Thank you. Thank enjoy, you. Enjoy spending time with you, man. And uh, we'll see you soon, hopefully. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye, David.